Hi, welcome to Per My Last Email. This is your host, Michaela. Every other week, I'll be coming on here to tell you everything going on in my life. Sometimes it'll be real estate and some tips and tricks for all of you. Sometimes it'll be everything that drives me crazy about building a business, but it'll always be something you can relate to and be like, yep, definitely feel that. Each episode is meant to inspire, connect, and maybe lead you to a glass of wine while we all discuss the many reasons we've all thought about writing emails, starting with the phrase, per my last email. This is a Soul Fire production. Hi guys, welcome to episode 10 of Per My Last Email. I'm so excited about today's episode because I have a longtime friend of mine on the episode today. And to be honest, she is like a badass. I have no other way of saying it or explaining her just straight badass. She has one of the coolest stories I've really ever heard. I don't think a lot of us kind of have the opportunity to meet people like my girlfriend, Emily. And so I'm just excited for you guys to hear a part of her story. And without giving away too much, she's a three-time Olympian. All I can tell you is the amount of work, grit, and energy it takes to get to that level of success in your life in any sort of field that you're in is just ridiculous. And it takes a very special type of person. So with that being said, we're going to hear from Emily. But before we do that, I want to chat a little bit about something that Emily and I talk about in the episode, but more so about how it pertains to our lives in general. We live in a kind of frustrating world sometimes. And especially I think as women, sometimes we have to fight more than we want for the things that we want. And we have to go into rooms and put a shield on ourselves to protect ourselves and to get a result. And sometimes we have to act in a way that doesn't feel good in our bodies because we feel like it might get us the result we need in a world that isn't always accepting of us and our dreams and our wishes. And as you'll hear in the episode, Emily and I chat about what it's like to act when your soul and when your spirit is broken and Some people have an ability to sort of act beyond the broken spirit in their bodies and others don't. I am definitely somebody who cannot sort of keep the ball rolling if my heart isn't in it. Actually, I should say I can keep the ball rolling if my heart isn't in it, but I will complain the entire time and I don't know if the result will be great. In certain situations, I've been put under immense amount of pressure, and if I can find a reason to do the things I don't want to do, like my family or taking care of somebody, that's sort of the way that I can push through. But if I don't have it in my heart and soul to do it, the results are not great. And I think it's an interesting topic because it's not one I've really ever thought about, but me and Emily get into it. And I was just thinking about what it might look like and what level of success we might all have if we really followed the very things that fed our our hearts and fed our spirit. And I don't mean that to say like, it's got to be really like sort of cheesy, like, oh my God, you know, I found my my calling in life, right? It doesn't have to be that level of cheesy, but just like if you're inspired or if you are doing something in service of something else, or if it makes you giggle and laugh and like happy inside, right? Like that is fulfilling of spirit in some way, shape or form. But if it's not doing that, it's actually doing the polar opposite. Like it's taking your energy or it's causing you anxiety before you start doing it, or you're angry because you have to do it. I think it's an interesting thought and conversation to think about how much more successful you would be at that very thing if you could change your mindset. And more importantly, does the thing honor you enough to have you change your mindset, right? Like, is it 
worth you changing your mindset over or is it worth you walking away over? So all of these topics are going to be discussed here in a bit, but just some food for thought I've been thinking about ever since the conversation. And I wanted to pass it along because I just think we can all really move in our own light a bit better if we focused on not just what makes us happy, but like what fills our spirit and what motivates us. And even if we aren't doing something that really makes us super happy, if we're doing it in honor of something or in preparation for something that does, depending on the personality of the person, like maybe that's all you really need. I've talked about this a hundred times at this point, but sometimes work for me isn't super fulfilling and sometimes it is. And that change of mindset or the doing of the thing that really entertains us really helps me. But like right now, you know, I've been really busy with real estate clients and design clients and Although I'm feeling a little burnt out, I feel as fulfilled as I as I can be at the moment. And that's something I can, you know, be grateful for too. So with that being said, unless you want to DM me and tell me you want to buy a house in Chicago, go listen to the rest of this episode and I will chat with you all soon. Thank you so much for being on. I'm so excited to have you. For our listeners, I'm just so thrilled to have this guest on because She was my girlfriend in Chicago. And then as you will hear later on, she went to go visit her mother in Canada right before the pandemic started. And she recently came back to like pack up her life, but she came back 18 months later to pack up her life. So I sort of lost my friend in all of this. She disappeared into the Canadian wilderness. And now I get to chat with her and you all get to hear it. So Emily, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us what you did from the age of like 10 to 20. And then we'll get into what you did from the age of something to now. All right. Sounds great. Well, thanks for having me, Michaela. It's awesome. Super excited. I felt like I lost a lot of my friends during the pandemic as I found myself back in my hometown where I was born, booming population of 5,000. Many bears. Many, probably more than 5,000 bears and moose. I had to really get my wilderness savviness back on track. I felt like I had some good street smarts, but I was (laughs) It was not so good in the wilderness. Anyways, it's all good now. We're back on track, but back on track. I'd be on like work calls and I'd be like, oh, there's a bear outside. They're like, really? I'm like, no, but for real. It's not, it's not safe. I must it's go. Not, yeah. Let me get to the bear. It's not a Cubs fan. No, it's real four-legged furry thing, but no, it's pretty awesome. So my name is Emily Bryden. I am Canadian, born and raised in a town called Fernie, British Columbia. And that's kind of where my story begins because it's a small mountain town where you either played hockey or you skied. And so skiing became a really big part of my life early on, something I did with my friends and my family. And for some crazy reason, I happened to be good at it. And I never really knew I was good at it until I retired, actually. I think it's when I finally accepted that I was good at something. But yeah, so skiing was very much a part of my life growing up. And I went to school here in Fernie. And at some point I had to move to Whistler to finish my school because my school here wasn't super supportive or some of the teachers. And so I learned like early on kind of the importance of sport, but I also really made it clear in my mind that I wasn't just going to do sports. I really wanted to have an education. And that's important to kind of like for the segue later, we can talk yeah, about. I didn't know that, that like you definitely always had this like sense like, all right, and we'll get into what sport and what that all looked like, but that you always had this like, all right, I'm an athlete, but like also I should probably make sure I can like take a test. Yeah. And so like for your listeners, I, I did, I was a professional athlete, amateur athlete for 13 years on the Canadian national team. And pause. Somebody who goes to the Olympics is not an amateur athlete. Restart. (laughs) 
Okay, so I'm a professional athlete in the sport of alpine skiing, three-time Olympian, nine-time World Cup medalist. Um, oh, I'm an amateur. I'm just an amateur, just on Saturday. Spare time. I dedicated my life to this sport for many, many years, and I still don't really know, well, I do now know why I succeeded, but for a long time I didn't because it was kind of against all odds. I grew up in a family. We didn't have a lot of money. We'd pick the rocks on the ski hill during my ski pass. My mom would make my race suit. Like, I only had, like, uh, secondhand equipment for most of my younger career, but I just, like, loved it. And what I realized now is that it taught me that things aren't just handed to you, or if they're handed to you, it often makes it harder in life later. Mm. And so what it taught me is to want something and to fight for it and to surround yourself by people who tell you yes, because there's a lot of people out there who tell you no. And so even when I was young, there's a lot of people who were like, why are you a skier? Like, you know, there's way more naysayers than people kind of behind you. But the people that mattered to me kind of empowered me. And I think we were all a little bit surprised about how I progressed and why I progressed, but it was great. And it came down to, I loved it and I was passionate about it. And I knew how to work hard when push came to shove, but it came from my own fire, not somebody else's fire that was pushing me. And I think that was a really big kind of differentiator for me. So when you were young, right. And it was kind of like, okay, everyone's got to get on board and like help because like there weren't, you know, the financial pieces to help you do this easier. Right. Everybody kind of as a family had to be like, all right, we're going to try and figure this out together. Do you feel like that was also part of the fire or it was like more of a burden? Like, oh crap. Now I got to make sure I do this for everybody. Cause everybody is like involved in my crazy idea. It changes and it's kind of related to my maturity level, I would say. So when I was younger, so let's say before 18, and the reason 18 is important is that my dad died when I was 18. And so we lost our, our source of income. And so at that point I was like, okay, well, who can be that selfish athlete? Like now's not the time to be selfish and to go chase your, your ski racing dreams. Oh yeah. That's the other thing. I was a downhill ski racer for those who didn't know. It's like, we're just dropping in little tidbits. I like it. Yeah. So when my dad died, it became like a, oh gosh, I have to take on that responsibility. I need to help provide. And my mom can't work or she didn't work for health reasons. And so I was like, oh my gosh, you know, let's not be selfish. Now's the time to kind of come together as a family. I'm an only child. And so I definitely felt that responsibility. And then this family came in and said, you know what, go chase your dreams. And they gave me $10,000 to go do that. And then they had a fundraiser. The community had a fundraiser for my mom. And so it basically gave me permission to go for a year and chase. And so in one sense, the burden was lifted. But in the other sense, I knew that for the rest of my life, I would be not only inspired by this community and this family, but indebted to them. And so I, that's where the seed was planted, I guess, in terms of paying it forward later. Mm. Because no, no one had to do this. No, no one had to step in and no one had to enable my dreams Because to be a ski racer, especially at that time, it wasn't like I was going on to become a professional hockey player and I was going to make millions or it it really was just me chasing my dreams. And, but it was just such an important lesson. And so before that, I didn't feel any obligation. I felt like I lived in a bubble. I had the best childhood ever. Maybe we didn't have a lot of money, but I never felt poor for lacking and so, or for wanting. And, and so But it did teach me that, you know, everything wasn't going to be given to me and that I had to earn it and that I had to really want it. And then I would get it, but it was not a burden at all. But I knew that I couldn't do it alone also. So we would like, you know, pick rocks for our ski pass. That was so our family, my family could ski. And then there, there were people who would give me -me hand-me-downs because they knew that I couldn't afford it. So even before my dad died, there was a community behind me that 
I didn't realize. It's like everyone else knew you were good except for you. And my parents. Yeah, it's really funny. I don't know, but it was a gift because there was no pressure. Yeah, like, there that's no like there. Yeah, you were like, I'm just. This is fun. I like this doing this. And I'm gonna do it. And so then when my dad died, and I had this like gift to kind of go chase my dreams. I kind of promised to him before he died and then also to myself that I would also get an education. Like I wasn't just going to, you know, abuse this opportunity yeah. because I knew that I could get a ski scholarship if I was good enough. So I was like, okay, well, let's use the skiing to get like an education that mm-hmm. I can afford. And so that was the next step. That was the next driver for me. And then and then I just kept getting better. And I was like, oh gosh, well now do I go for the Olympics or do I go for NCAA? It was really actually a difficult decision because I felt this immense guilt that I was giving up an education. Ah. An Olympic dream, which to me is like the power of sport is profound. I think it's one of the most powerful tools in our society to unite people in a peaceful way. But at 19, you don't really understand that. But I did feel immense guilt that I was, you know, going to choose the Olympics over a free education. And so I kind of made that a next promise. Okay, well, if I do this, then I'm going to get an education when I retire. And so I just kept, I guess, punting it. Did you feel like because your community had done so much to support you there was a sense of like I really should go to the Olympics I really should like represent Canada I really should sort of give that piece back did any of this even cross your mind I guess you were so young like does any of that cross somebody's mind who isn't 35 years old yeah it did it it was one of my biggest challenges because I got to a point in my career where you know I felt like the only way to thank people was through my results so it wasn't so much the Olympics it was just every race (laughs) And I wanted to be great for everybody who had given so much to me. I didn't have any other way I felt like to give back and to thank people. And so it it sets you on a bit of a mental roller coaster because on your days of success, you're like, yeah, I am amazing. Right, right, right. On the days that you don't do well, you're like, oh my God, I'm a horrible person. I let the whole world down. Whole entire world is sitting on your shoulders. Entire world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that intense in that moment because you're in this bubble. When you're an athlete, you're so committed to your sport and to being the best that you can be. You eat, breathe, sleep it. There's nothing else that matters. And so when you win, it's like massive high. But when you lose, it's a massive low because you don't have this balance to realize it. And so I got to a point where I felt really guilty and like a mental train wreck because it was like, it was too much. And, And then I felt like I'd lost the joy of sport, which was my whole, the whole reason we got here to be in with. Yeah. And it was like, this is why I do it because I love it and I'm passionate. And after my second Olympics in Torino, so all my Olympics are like just children. They all have their own little stories, but in Torino, you know, all my Olympics, just hold on a second. Just let's put some, some dust of clarity on this. All my Olympics, for those of us who uh, don't have Olympics as our many babies in life, how many have there been? Give us like the, the fun piece of this since you're going to the Olympics. So the first Olympics was that I went to was Salt Lake City. So that was in 2002. That was an interesting one because I came back from double knee surgery. Like within a year, I'd blown both my knees and it was a bit of a disaster. So after my second ACL reconstruction, I competed in the Olympics three months later, which was just a bit of a medical miracle. So I wasn't there to win though. And it was awful to be there and to not win. I was there to just participate. And that's just not me. I'm not a 
as and as much as like, brand new knees so like participation at that point was like excellent it was, it was great and it was actually really fun because i got to go to the opening ceremonies and the closing mm-hmm. ceremonies i got to see some events which in the normal situation that's not the case tell the general public what is the case well it depends what sport you are but in mm-hmm. skiing we never actually were allowed to stay in athlete village and so we were kind of sequestered outside distraction length of time that you're there size mm-hmm. of team there's a whole bunch of different variables that go in so uh-huh. you often get pulled out and you're not really part of that that experience the skiers aren't Rude. And, uh, Rude. Yeah, i know we like, should write a letter yeah i should, yeah. should write a letter I love it <laughs> to hear from me and that's a choice of the national team the na- it's I not see. the choice of the ioc and so uh salt lake city was a weird one but great and crazy and and then Torino is like the one I wanted a medal. I was like, I believed I could do it. I knew I could do it. I had results on that hill prior, but I was so burnt out and so disconnected from my fire and my passion and what was driving me that there was no way I was going to be successful. It had gotten to that point where I was treated like a business and what was their return? They'd invested all this money into me. Why was I giving the organization the results they needed? And I just like was- You were a product. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, this is so far from what I believe in the power of sport and so far from what has motivated and driven me. Like you've just kind of killed it for me. And yet- my competitiveness wanted me to win. The competitor was like, F that. Yeah, at all costs. Win at all costs, you know. We'll deal with your heart later. Exactly. And so it was kind of an epic failure. And it's funny, I don't even remember what my results were. I think I had like a ninth or an 11th. So in hindsight, you're like, yeah, it's not that bad in the world. Yeah, like on this grand scheme of like the world, it's a pretty damn good answer. But when you want to win, it's bad. So I ran away to... Australia at the end of the year. And I was like planning on retiring Mm. and I was like, okay, I'm going to go away for six weeks and no one's allowed to email me. And I'll tell you if I'm going to retire when I come back, but zero communication. Sounds ideal. Can I do that now? It's great. You know what? I would, I kind of think I need to do it right now, but should we go, should we go get a hut on the beach? Yeah. You just like peace out from life because I think in our lives, we're just so busy and we're so tuned in. And I think more now than ever, yeah. you don't really give yourself time to kind of peel away all the emotion and just get at the core of what you need to understand. I, I woke up yesterday morning and I said, I texted this to one person and I've yet to say it to any other human. So you are now the second human to hear this thought. But I was like, should I maybe like save some money over the next like two months, three months? And maybe like pack up my life and like go to Spain for a month. Yeah, absolutely. And just talk to nobody. Like literally just like disappear. I have a cousin who lives in Spain, like disappear to Spain. Like she will be my point of contact to know I am alive. Absolutely. So I think these things are really important for us to do to like, like unplug from our lives that are so consuming and demanding and just like kind of get back to your roots. Back to like your own being and figure out what your own being wants outside of all of the factors of like the things we're supposed to be doing because we signed up for the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is that there's no one else to blame but ourselves to get into these situations. So it's no one else but us that can get us out. And so Mm. I think that you need to kind of take ownership of that. And it often comes at, you know, cost of like making big decisions. And like even me being here in Canada is part of that. I think, you know, that was a big decision for me and it still is a big decision and it's an ongoing choice right now. But I do think that it's really important to unplug. So when I went to Australia, I didn't think about skiing for most of the time. I just... Did you ski on water? Well, I would call it surfing. It's more like a... (laughs) It's like a body that's sinking. (laughs) Flapping and flopping and it was, yeah. 
it's not a next career, not to worry. Okay, it. it turns um, out it doesn't translate. Yeah, it does not translate. No, no. Mm -mm. Got it. Mm -hmm. I use the time to just kind of I, a little bit of healing, a little bit of forgiveness, yeah. a little bit of not pleasing people, mm. you know, not, you know, doing stuff for everybody else, even though in a, in a so I was an individual sport and it can right. be quite selfish, but it's a different sort of selfish than like going off grid and just doing what you want. Like when you're a, an athlete, you're like a robot. You're monitored all the time. What you eat, what you work out, what your resting heart rate is, all this stuff. It's like, I, am I a human anymore? And so just kind of product. that was really important. And so on the last day, I was like, okay, let's have a little chat with yourself, Bryden. You have a decision to make. And so I made a list of like all the reasons to retire. Oh, it was a mighty one. It was pages, pages. And it was like angry, angry and yeah. very emotive. And, you know, and then I made a list of like why to stay. And I was like four things. And I was like, well, that's clear. And then I went back and I read them again. And I was like, well, no, it's actually clear the other way. So oh. all the reasons to quit were like temporary emotions or feelings because of burnout, because of wrong expectations, because of pressure I'd put on myself. They're all temporary. But the list to continue was like actually my soul speaking. And so that is about like, do I still love to ski? Do I still think I have more to give? And one of them was I have a responsibility in that I have this gift this crazy gift to ski fast. And yeah. so make it worth something. You have a platform, you have a voice and you have a way to have impact on many people. So use it, like make it worth something more than just you. And so that was when I started my foundation actually, because I was like, okay, now I can give back. I'm in a position where I can give back to the community. Yeah. And now ironically, I'm no longer skiing for me. I'm now skiing for a foundation, which is a much better cause. You don't feel as guilty about it. And you're more inspired by it. You're in service of something yeah. bigger than you. It fixed your heart problem. <laughs> So like all of those feelings that you had because your heart was broken over everything, it almost was like you starting your own foundation kind of sewed your heart back together in all the ways that sport had broken it or like the corporate version of sport yeah. had broken it. Yeah, absolutely. And it gave me this like new, I don't know, energy. And I knew that the Vancouver, so my third Olympics was Vancouver. And so I knew Canada. Canada. And so I was like, this is it. Like, I'm going to dedicate four years of my life in service to something bigger than me, my foundation. I'm going to leave no stone left unturned and I'm going to just pour it all out. And, and that's it. And you're going to leave on your own terms when you still love it. And that was my goal. I said, okay, if I'm going to do this, then I'm quitting after Vancouver. I'm going to retire. Right. Even if I am the best in the world, because I want to ski for the rest of my life. I want to love it. And I always think you should stop while you're on top. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. And that was something I committed to for those four years. And it was the best four years of my career. Once mm -hmm. we can get our spirit in the right place, which is like a whole process in itself, we tend to produce much better. Absolutely. Like what we produce is better for the world than when our spirit is sort of not in it or broken or whatever. Our production level is either like just empty, like you're producing, but it's empty under it, or you're just incapable of producing anything productive. Yeah, totally. And I think it transcends sport. It's just life. Yeah. One thing I did realize is that, you know, I had a lot of coaches in my career who, well, they're all male. I've never, I never really had a female coach. They're all male. A lot one of in, a, in a female sport, not a single female coach. No, well, had, they tried one and they just, they burned them out. They're, they're not welcome. They were never welcome. And so the industry set them up to fail because 
the women would come in to coach and then they'd spend their whole time justifying why they were there and that they deserved to be there opposed to just being really good coaches. And so it, it never worked. And so it, I never had one that I really was like, clicked with. Mm-hmm. And so I've had male coaches my whole life, except when I was really young, but a lot of them, I had some Eastern European coaches. <laughs> I had European coaches. I had all different walks of life, but some of their styles were not conducive or compatible with a Canadian culture. And so a lot of yelling, a lot of like, we're going to make you so mad because you ski better when you're mad. Like, so they would all gang up on me before a race so that I would be mad. I was like, my life is on the line. Do you want a mad me? And like, this might work this time, but who's paying for my long-term psychology? And so what I realized is that I was a very emotional athlete. Like Mm. everything had to align inside of me for me to perform. I wasn't super great at compartmentalizing into this like performer self. I just was myself. And so if I was not happy or in a good place, it was really hard for me to kind of perform. Whereas a lot of superstars are able to do that. And that's their, they like compartmentalize their emotion to like their sort of physical. Yeah. I was never really willing to try to do it. I don't think I was willing to do it either, but also didn't realize that till later that took years of spike sport psychology (laughs) to understand (laughs) that and that acceptance. Right. So, you know, I knew I wasn't going to win every day, but I knew I could win every day. It was all aligned properly. (laughs) Yeah. I could win any day. Mm. But I wasn't going to win every day. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if like, you know, the answer to this, but like, you know, Vancouver was what year? 2010. 2010. So it's been 11 years. Do you know if there has been any like movement in the female coach land? Yeah. Like, interestingly, it's interesting you asked that. So I just thought there was a notification that came out from the Canadian offense ski team with it's a recruitment, a whole campaign about hiring, retaining and empowering women. So it's happening, but it's still not. It's still the same. We'll see. These things don't happen overnight. Like I think we all want them to. You're up against culture. You're up against capability. Like if you just promote women because you want to promote women, you've just lost the battle because you're going to put, you're setting them up to fail. So if you really want women or minorities to succeed, you have to give them the tools along the way. It's not just about twit. So like making a switch and then turning yeah, the it on. Opportunity is great, but like if there's no skill set to succeed in that opportunity, yeah. then you're basically actually just like you're setting them up to fail and then being like, oh, you guys failed. This is why we didn't hire you to begin with. Yeah, exactly. And then and then you're just trying to like give reason to your bad behavior. Yeah. And so I think that's like how skiing was. And I think a lot of sports were like that and they're changing over time they're getting better i think it's kind of like the corporate world you need male allies you need not only capable women but you need advocates and allies to kind of create those opportunities once they're ready again i don't know if you were aware of it then the way you probably are aware of it now but like the whole conversation for example with the well this isn't every female sport but the u.s women's soccer team obviously like made it this whole big thing but was pay different was like accommodation different was all of it different and yet you guys are technically competing for the exact same spot you know as gold for canada and yet was like the treatment of you different Yeah, we were very much aware of it even then. And so skiing's weird in that we don't, men and women don't, only sometimes do we go on the same course. So we don't compete. Two courses, like a a female course and a male course. Yeah. So in the World Cup circuit, there are totally different venues. We never travel with male teams, like the male World Cup circuit. It's just too big. Oh, I was like, are they just scared everyone's just going to be procreating? Yeah. Well, that too. So (laughs) the only time we can. That's where my head went. (laughs) 
Well, it's it's not far off. I mean, um, they should let you procreate if they want a super athletes. Well, why don't right. the athletes make more athletes? Like, well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's how we get ski racing back as a <laughs> I, like this can't be this this can't be this like high level get the ones who are winning gold and female and the ones that are winning gold and male and have them make a baby what do you think you're gonna get it's an interesting theory i don't know we no one thought about it obviously yeah it's a world cup finals where it's only the top 25 best okay. racers we would compete with the men then it's ensuring that the best what their theory was like the best women had the capability to race on a men's course okay and my so, giant eyeballs just rolled all the way in the back of my head all the way. i think there was a full circle so i think that was one issue like there was also that culture then we would have there would be some male coaches who'd be like oh the women are here they're gonna ruin our course and they're gonna put the rut in the wrong place and they're just mama like so the male coaches kind of it was interesting to see the dynamic between a male coach and a female coach because they're all male right so it's right. like their personalities were very different the coaches coaching men were very alpha and then the coaches that were coaching women they had to have a level of eq yeah <laughs> like an empathy because it just didn't work like women cry and were emotional and <laughs> and we would have some coaches who were like uh oh god oh god no 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 that's someone else's problem like they would just leave you to cry on the side of the road or, or the side of the hill and so the, even the coaching capability is different for men and women, which is obvious, but you're just reiterating this culture over and over through many facets, like whether it's like where we compete together, our pay was different, like prize money would be different. And all of our endorsements and things like yeah. that, totally different to our coaches, like even within the same sport. And I was like, if we can't support each other, like goodness, it's just me, like, like we have no chance. No chance. So Yeah. And I'm assuming this is even worse, but I'm assuming the coaches who coach the women were paid less than the coaches that coach the men. I don't know, but oh, I would okay. be surprised. I don't know the coach. I never yeah. knew the coach. It's an interesting question. I don't know. I would imagine so because basically- it would the money to that from, department is less. Yeah. So our budgets were definitely less yeah. as women. So our we were always less, even if we overperformed. But it comes back to sponsors. And so sponsors are like, oh yeah, we want to sponsor the men's team. And so the money would go there. And so one of the things, so Own the Podium kind of came in, it was an organization in Canada where you'd get funding, but the funding was 100% dictated based on, you know, quantitative results Result. and metrics. And so it became quite equal then. Whereas like back in the day when corporate sponsors or whatever, it's just more like what gives yeah. you the warm and fuzzies and what yeah. gives you the more clickbait, you know, yeah. whatever it is. And so it sports is, it's really interesting. We'll get to it after Vancouver and you kind of decide like, you know, you're, you're going back to school and you're figuring out what's next and you're retiring. Did you think like, Hey, let me get into the corporate side of sport. Or were you like, I'm done. Thank you so much for this lovely experience. Yeah. Done and dusted. You know, I, I given my life. So I retired at the age of 30 and I'd given my life to sport. And by the end, it was a job Yeah, and I never wanted it to be a job again. And I wanted to be able to enjoy it for the rest of my life. I see. And Thanks. so for me, it was really about, I needed a clean break. And I knew as I retired and I like the whole, I, we can go into it now, the transition of going from retiring at the age of 30 and basically having to redefine who you are. And it is literally a switch. Like you, you retire and then you're a nobody. It's, yeah. it's especially in the sport of skiing, maybe some of the, the more, you know, famous sports people. Yeah. But I think, I mean, I, you and I have talked about this. Like I was in a situation where I knew someone 
who thought they needed to retire. And like, there's a full on identity crisis that occurs. Like you have no idea why you are on the planet and for what purpose you are here. And actually that you are a human being and not a product, like no idea. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I did well throughout my career is I had this crew, this like network of people Mm. who kept me grounded, who supported me, who knew me, who saw the good, the bad, the ugly, but they were like my, I don't know, like this super circle mm. of like angels yeah. <laughs> and people who just cared for me. So when I retired, they were still there mm. and it was still really hard. Yeah. You know, and, and, but there's a lot of people that just live in that moment of being an athlete. They don't have anything else. They don't have that. And then when you retire, then it really is like, I remember I had to get an MRI and I was like, okay, I'm just going to, I contacted, you know, the people I contact and like, oh, it'll be a six month wait list. I was like, not tomorrow. Like I just retired yesterday. Like if I had done it the other way around, it would have been different, you know? And so, tomorrow. and so you really, it is a fickle, fickle world out there. And so you lose like your network, your family. So we, I traveled 12 months of the year with the same group of people. You lose your family, you lose like your passion temporarily. And yeah. for some people do sports that you can't do for fun. You don't really know who you are. You go from signing autographs to like, like not target. Yeah. Like I, I just, for me, it was like going and hanging out at a classroom with a bunch of 18 year olds. Like what? There is this massive, you know, transition and it's similar to, to veterans. You know, it's anytime you're in a, like a really niche or exclusive group and you, you stop and you have to kind of integrate back into society. It's incredibly difficult and there's very little prep. I would get in trouble because I would study on the road sometimes or when I started my foundation and I also supported Right to Play a lot, the organization, foundation. And I would get in so much trouble because they said I wasn't focused enough on my sport. And I was like, well, no, it's just good like being a well-rounded person or like a well-rounded athlete. And so even within sport, you're not really given permission to be more than an athlete. And so when you retire, it's just even more stark and you don't really know. No one tells you like what skills transition from sport. You're like, okay, cool. My resume. What do I got? (laughs) I worked at Starbucks once or second cup and really good at being on this like type of metal that goes really fast. Excellent balance skills. (laughs) Great for corporate. And so it's crazy. You don't have any idea what your value is and what skills you have. And yet you've just gone to like the university of life. Right. But no one tells you that. And so one of the things I'm really passionate about is how do you one educate corporations on on these in like intangible skills and quality mm-hmm. that athletes have that add value that are if you talk about diversity at a corporate level having an athlete in there having veterans in there having someone who's come back from a different background that's diversity too it's not just the color of your skin the religion that you practice yeah. where you were born it's like what are your life experiences what are your skills and and so yeah there's a real opportunity for corporations and business to kind of embrace athletes and use their skills to differentiate their offer. And they're kind a really of- interesting point too. Cause like off the top of my head, what I'm thinking is like athletes have this ability, whether they have it well or not is different, but they have this ability to literally be under like mass amounts of stress mm-hmm. and give a result. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, it might, you know, be good, bad, whatever. Like in your case, right? You were like, oh my God, I got ninth. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. And yet actually, like in the grand scheme of things, that's an excellent result on a world scale yeah. to be like ninth or 11th or whatever, right? But so that's still quite the impressive result under an immense amount of stress and like 
you know, disheartenment and whatever that you were feeling to still be able to get that level of a result. Athletes are the people who you can literally put like, they're like the rock that the, you put the pressure on and you get the diamond mm-hmm. because they've been conditioned to do that over decades of time. And so to think from a corporation standpoint, like, oh, I don't know what skill set they have. They're the ones you send in. Yeah, like exactly. And communication, teachability. Yeah, coachability. Like they've been coached their whole lives. Leadership. And then you have like some, you can go as far as like every athlete is its own business, right? So you're marketing yourself, you're signing contracts, like you have agents, but you still are reading contracts. You're still figuring out your negotiations. You're, you are your own business, setting yourself up to perform every day. And so there are all of these cool skills resilience, tenacity, like for goals, like you, you mm-hmm. think as an athlete, you're programmed to think big and bold and go for the, and, and the in the thing. corporate world, there's so many just steady eddies out there. And so it's good to have, you need your steady eddies, but you also need people that think Make outside bigger. the box, think bigger, bolder, riskier. I do think that there's a place for it, but no one tells you that as an athlete. And so there's kind of one side of educating corporations on the skills that athletes may bring, but also educating athletes on what skills they can bring to the corporate world if that's what they want to do like that's the other thing I chose to like just you know be done with skiing all of a sudden yeah but for some people they want to stay in that world and I think that's amazing too like it's not to say everyone should go into the corporate world or it is really about what you want and there's some people that I never thought I'd be a good coach but some athletes make amazing coaches. Some people go into broadcasting, some go into kind of sales. And so there's a lot of different options out there. And it's kind of like your personal preference. It might happen to be quite extreme, but I also felt like no one was doing it because there was no one leading the way. So I I kind of set myself, I want to be this little trailblazer, like Mm kind of like skiing, like it got, if I can make it to the national team, anyone can. Anyone can. If I can, you know, get my MBA in London, anyone can. If I can get into like a big corporate company, anyone can. Like I want, I want to be, I'm like a book in a china shop. So like I want to create opportunities or I want to show to people behind me, beside me, ahead of me that like there's a way. And so you can either hop on my path and, and come with or just have the courage to go create your own. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or I thoroughly annoyed you enough that you feel like you have to come back for more, please go subscribe, rate us, send a review and share us on social. You sharing us means all of our struggles don't have to be in silence anymore. And it means we all have a voice. Most importantly, it means I get to keep making episodes. So please go share. I also, um, during this pandemic, showed my tits to um, 250 people on a BP call. You can add that to your um, list of I know people who. Uh-huh. Full yeah. on. Like, here's my bra. It's off. Okay. And here are my boobs. Oh, yeah. I changed. So that Did happened. you know you were on the call? <laughs> I need so many more details. Well, I was on a call and I was running late for something and I didn't need, it wasn't a participation call. It was it the chief economist from BP presenting his view of the world? So there was like the economist and then someone facilitating the conversation, then someone, an animator. So someone who's like drawing and yeah, so they they were doing their nice little presentation. And then I was like, shit, I'm so late. And because I was living at home and my office was in my bedroom, I thought I would just kill two birds with one stone. So I took off my headset and remained on mute, but somehow the camera was on. So I took off my pajamas, uh, walked to 
my drawer with my lingerie in it, got out my bra. I adjusted the girls. Oh my God, I'm dying. And then I came back and I was like, why? Why is there a green light on the top of my fucking computer right now? Oh, fuck, 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 fuck. I turned it off. I shut my computer and I like went off. I was like laying a wreath for Canada uh, for Remembrance Day. So I was like, oh my God, I can't even think about this. So off I went and then I came back and I was like, it, you know what? No one saw. It, it's going to be fine because like I'm one of 250 people and I wasn't on mute. Like I was on mute. So you don't come up onto the screen if you're, you know, like maybe one person saw me. And then I came back and I was like, there was a, a chat from this meeting. They're like, oh, the, the recording is now available. And I was like, the hmm, recording? There's, you recorded this? Good Lord, love a duck. And so then I went because I knew exactly when it happened. At that and point, you should just submit it to OnlyFans and get some money. So I went to the point of which I knew I had done my striptease and um, there I was in the bottom right-hand quadrant, economist, facilitator, animator, and, and my boobs. 